Hey, everybody. Welcome to Human Touch. I'm Lou Solomon. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to the folks in the Zoom room and also uh, to our friends watching on YouTube. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to get right to it because we are so excited about this. You know, on Human Touch, we talk to authentic people doing interesting work that makes our community a better place. We honor communicators who are helping shape our future. And boy, we got that coming up. Now our host today is Matt Olin, who is one of our favorite people on the planet. And we know that's true for you too. Uh, his partner, Tim Miner as well, they are family to us. And they, they co-founded a nonprofit called Charlotte is Creative. Uh, their connection to today's program is obvious because they are spokespeople. They are the voice for creatives in Charlotte, especially those who, who need support to thrive. Now, our guest is April Whitlock, and are we excited about this? April of Lending Tree is helping change the, the whole model of corporate philanthropy and showing us how that's done. So, Matt, I am going to toss it to you. Nice. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate that. Yes, I am Matt Olin, the co-founder of Charlotte's Creative alongside Tim Miner. And I am indeed very honored that Lou and the Interact Studio family asked me to moderate today's conversation with one of my favorite Charlotteans and humans, April Whitlock. In fact, on the Venn diagram of Charlotteans who I admire, we're now smack in the middle of it this morning, swimming in the glorious deep end. And this gets me excited. It gets me in the spirit. It actually makes me want to sing, right? Lou and her interact team, they serve Charlotte, and April Whitlock's a cash-giving starlet. They all love Crown Town, they're playing for keeps. These are a few of my favorite peeps. Too soon for holiday songs? I don't care. I love these people. I love the way they show up in our city and in our world, and I just can't help but sing and dance about it. Sorry. So, But you're not here to have your eardrums insulted, I don't think. You are here to hear from April Whitlock, who let me tell you is a connector and a champion. And to add a third C to this, she is all about community. Those three Cs are the common threads through her decades long career as a corporate marketing executive, as an entrepreneur, as a nonprofit director, and now as a corporate foundation executive. A lot of you might know her from her volunteer work with the Lunch Project and Children's Theater of Charlotte, or for her many awards and honors, 40 under 40 from the Charlotte Business Journal. 50 most influential women from the Mecklenburg Times. These days, she's known as the head of corporate citizenship and, uh, uh, at LendingTree and the executive director of the LendingTree Foundation. These are new roles, uh, but not at a company that's new for her. Right? She actually joined LendingTree back when it was a startup. And, and so, but she's back now. She's back and she's leveraging this new role to shake things up in the Queen City and beyond. Um, April, I love how your Creative Mornings Charlotte bio states that you are working to do good, make change happen, and create a positive impact. And we're about to learn over the next 20 minutes that you are doing just that. So welcome to Human Touch, April. It's great to see you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so let's dive in here. Tell us a little bit more about your background. How did you get uh, from you know where you started to uh, in your career to, to where you are now? Give us a little bit of that, paint that picture. But it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, there, there's nothing linear about this, this process. But, um, you know, I started my career in advertising and marketing and branding in Chicago and decided it was time to move back home at one point and was um, kind of in the early throes of the, the dot-com days. 
And a friend of mine knew that I was interviewing with the banks and sent me a news clip. You know, this is how old I am from the New York Times talking about this little company in Charlotte that had just gotten a second round of funding. So I um, interviewed with them and um, got the, an offer at a bank and an offer with Lending Tree. And luckily, my dad said, no daughter of mine would not take a risk and try this thing. And so I did. And it shaped my life because it really made me realize that I may not have, a, I may not be the kind of entrepreneur that has like the idea to go execute, but I really loved working with entrepreneurs and working in that space and creating things and connecting people was, was what got me excited. So um, after uh, watching, going with Lenitri for about eight years and it was multiple companies through that IPO and IEC acquisition, I went out on my own for a while and started MomCore here, which is now um, Stacey Kiever and them's uh, core temps company that they're running. Um, went to a, a, a small school supply company and rebranded them and started Fund a Noodle and played in the early education space for a while. But because I was in the early education space and really saw how important that was to upward mobility and what, what things were like in Charlotte, that's when I really got invested in the community and really wanting to um, be a change agent for you know, some of the things I was seeing on the ground. Well, you know, I got to say, I love the fact that your dad was sort of pushing you into this exciting, perhaps even turbulent startup culture. You know, as a, as a new dad myself, I guess she's nine years old, but I still consider myself a new dad. Um, I, the instinct might be, you know, go the safe route, go this, go, go, you know, go where you see a steady paycheck. And instead he was saying, you, you, ha you have what it takes to dive into that uh, world. That's really, really cool. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it's my, one of my, pivotal moments and I'm so glad he was a part of it. So part of your uh, journey also included some time at Foundation for the Carolinas. Um, touch on that for a moment and did that help shape the, the work you're currently doing at, uh, at the Lending Tree Foundation? Yeah, actually I joke with Catherine Warfield sometimes that I was like I didn't realize it but I was writing a business plan for what I wanted to do here at Lending Tree um, while I was at the Foundation. So um, I had um, sold my um, early education business and really decided I wanted to do consulting in the nonprofit space because I really felt that with a lot of nonprofits, um, they really needed someone with business acumen and marketing experience, but the kind of places where I wanted to play were probably too small to hire that. And so, you know, really coming in as, as a consultant or a helper and was doing a, a lot of different projects for Girls on the Run and Classroom Central and some others, when um, the opportunity to, to go contract with Foundation for the Carolinas came up to really focus on their um, kind of their business development side, you know, really educating all the new people here in Charlotte that there really is like a mini Fidelity Charitable over there that is, you know, does you invest there and you're, you're doing good doubles. Um, but COVID hit and that changed everything. So I started uh, running their Charlotte Corporate Affairs Professionals Group, which is kind of the affinity group for all things corporate social responsibility. And that group really went from, I would say, zero to 90 from, hey, every once in a while we get to talk to senior leaders about our impact to being inside the C-suite every day because of how do we respond not only to our employees who are going remote, but how do we respond to um, you know, the, the, the needs in the nonprofit community. And then the racial equity work hit right afterwards. So I was able at, at the foundation to really 
have a, a kind of like a, a high level view to see over here how the corporate folks were were like trying to talk to each other and understand like what are you funding and what are you funding and what are you doing but then over here I had this look of who was doing the work and what I really what what intrigued me was the COVID-19 um, relief fund through the United Way and Foundation for the Carolinas that if you go back and look at their grants the, the first round of grants they were to large organizations they were large dollar amounts and they were really there to kind of keep the doors open and keep things going and then those subsequent rounds ended up being pages and pages because they were much smaller, community embedded nonprofits, often founder led, were only getting maybe $30,000 or less. But then I would go follow them on social media and kind of keep in touch with what they were doing. And the impact they were having was tremendous because they were trusted members of their community going in and they saw exactly what needed to be done and they pivoted. I mean, Hope Vibes is like the, the king and queen of that. They pivoted to do exactly what the community needed. So I'd have Brian Collier come in and talk to the CCAP team about what was going on and that, you know, there were all these not smaller nonprofits. And that's when I really heard what I inherently knew, but heard like, wow, that's so cool, but we can't fund that. They've only been around for a year. They only have one year that they've been a 5013C. They don't have three years worth of data. You know, all these very valid reasons that, uh, you know, have kind of just been the way that people have given money. And it really got me thinking, you know, I knew this lending tree opportunity was coming down the pipe. I was like, okay, if that doesn't work out, then I had this whole business plan of something else I was going to go try to do to, to kind of put a fund together just for these folks. But luckily, um, lending tree took me back and I had the opportunity to kind of use the foundation to, to create this funding model specifically for those founder led emer emerging community embedded nonprofits. So this is great because, you know, I wanted to get into um, sort of the origin story of the Lend-A-Hand Alliance cohort, a program that you've built and launched over there at Lending Tree. Of course, our nonprofit, Charlotte is Creative, is honored to be a part of that inaugural cohort. That is an amazing gift. Um, so let's go a little further into the origin story. Tell us about, um, about how the program is structured and, and maybe a little bit more about who else is in the, uh, the inaugural cohort. Sure, you know, it all really started as the focus was going to be, like I said, founder-led community embedded. Really, you know, I told Doug and told the team here, like, think about it from a business standpoint. We want to be angel funders in the space. Like, we want to come in and say, and, and I've been an entrepreneur, so I know what that first two, three, four years feels like and how you're like, all I need is somebody to trust me. All I need is somebody just to give me, I don't, I don't need a million. I don't need this. I just need this little amount you know, and I, and, and I'll, I'll be able to run with it. And so um, that was the premise that we went in. I have this amazing teammate, Chris Woodfolk, who is so wise behind his 23 years, but between me being new and him being new to Charlotte, we were able to have these meetings and thanks to Zoom, you know, 30 minute meetings, one right after the other with everybody. We, we just started reaching out and talking to people and then they'd recommend somebody else. And we really, the conversations were all about what is your obstacle? What's standing in the way of you really making more of an impact? And I was like, and, and don't tell me it's money. Like, what is it? And what we heard over and over were, you know, I have to recreate myself to go and go get this grant or to get this. My board's telling me that such and such foundation is funding XYZ right now. So they told me to go create a new program so we can go get that money. Like, I just want to stay in my lane and do my work. And, um, and then along the way, I've been involved um, in the United Way's um, 
collaborative, funder collaborative, which is phenomenal, that's been focused on racial equity work. And then Molly um, Shaw at the foundation has been putting together a trust-based philanthropy project um, co uh, cohort. And what I realized were, well, that was really it. Like I didn't realize how we were backing into it, but it was, it's trust-based philanthropy. It's equaling the power structure. It's getting rid of this funder has all the power and the fundee just has to you know, do whatever they say. And it's coming here into this partnership where you're listening to each other, where you're transparent with each other. And really at the end of the day where it's unrestricted money that, that just like an angel funder, I'm, I trust you and Matt that you know so much more about the, the um, creative ecosphere in Charlotte than I'm ever gonna learn. So why should I dictate what you do with that money? As long as we are in relationship, speaking on a regular basis, talking on a regular basis, then we kind of know what's going on. And so we realized pretty quickly as we were thinking, hey, you know, we've got the money to do 10. We definitely want to do multi-year funding. We want it to be unrestricted. And then the next thing I knew, I, I looked at Chris and I was like, it's, we've got a cohort. Like, why don't we focus on that as a cohort? Because the other thing I heard and I knew as a, a former entrepreneur is that if you're running an organization and it's just you and maybe one or two other people, I know what that's like. It's all consuming. There's no time to stop and think about strategy. There's no time to stop and think about purpose and focus. So we're like, okay, let's do a cohort where four times a year, they have to give us a day and we're going to come together as a day and they have to give us a day without their phones, without interruptions, where we really help them like focus on capacity building and strategy and leadership development and, um, and collaboration. And that was the other key to the cohort. When we, when we started seeing all these pieces where we knew people were collaborating or we could think, wow, hmm, look at DigiBridge's Innovation Alley. Those walls are white. Wouldn't it be awesome to bring in art pop uh, you know, in to come in and get, a, get an artist to paint those murals? And so we started seeing those points. And then we realized too that as great as it is and to focus on these community embedded, um, there were two larger nonprofits, the Relatives and Charlotte Rescue Mission that had come to us that, and I was really ready to dismiss them, but Chris was like, no, April, let's look at this. They came to us with really in innovative ways that they were wanting to do a pivot. And what one of the current, she didn't know it at the time, but one of the current cohort members, Sharon Jones from Daddy Rose, I was talking to her and I was like, you know, I keep thinking we want to do community embedded, but there's a couple bigger folks. And she's like, April, if you do this, she's like, I would want you to have a, a bigger nonprofit in the mix so we could learn and, and mentor from each other. And so that's when it really gelled that we wanted to create this cohort that we were not gonna have these restrictions around the funding, but we were gonna have really high expectations about level of engagement, that we really expect interaction. We really expect back and forth communication. We really expect this relationship to be built. And, um, and that's, that's you know, where we are right now. We've had one quarterly meeting for eight hours on Zoom that people still tell me it was the best eight hours they ever had. So hopefully when we can be in person in December, we'll really be able to, to make it bigger. Well, having been in that eight hour meeting, my head was exploding by the end of the day. It was uh, unlike anything I'd experienced for sure. Just really, really powerful stuff. And to be in relationship with these other nonprofits and. Uh, inside of a culture that uh, champions collaboration and uh, helping each other. It's really a beautiful thing. And this model really does have the, this model that you're creating there has the power to, I think, transform corporate philanthropy in Charlotte 
and beyond, right? Trust-based philanthropy, multi-year support designed to create these meaningful relationships and sustain success for these nonprofits. Why, why do you think now is the right time uh, in our city and in our world for, for a model like this? You know, I think it's just all coming out, you know, out of 2020. I mean, just the, 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 the triple pandemic, if you will, you know, that everybody says, and looking at that, that powerful combination of the, the, what the, the pandemic ripped the Band-Aid, like so visible to everybody about the haves and the have-nots and where all the inequality was, especially in this town. Like all the things we've been talking about for years, all the different committees, like all of a sudden the pandemic, it was in your face, like, you know, where the problems were. Um, and now, you know, seeing with the, the way that the school feedback is and, and, and the issues with, you know, how big the gap got in that year. Um, I also think that there's always been an appetite in the in the philanthropic in the corporate philanthropic space to do things differently. And the pandemic gave a lot of my peers access, you know, at some companies, it gave them legitimate access to the C-suite for the first time. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, this is philanthropy over here. This is kind of a nice to have, just like our marketing department is kind of a nice to have, and we kind of have to do that. So I really think for a lot of corporations, big and small, the pandemic and then the racial inequality movement and work that came after that really exploded the, this is not a nice to have. You know, this is being a good corporate citizen and being socially responsible in your community. I mean, that it's, it's, it's a, it's a no brain. It's, it has to have, it's just as much important as having, you know, your head of HR. I mean, you have to be doing the work in the community. And then the, the third kind of piece of it are the Gen Z's and the talent, you know, war kind of that's going on now is that this younger expectation, this younger generation, they expect it. Um, it's asked in interview questions. It's looked at on how genuine is it and what are you doing? And they're the first ones to call out insincerity online. So, um, you know, all of those things, I think, kind of combined. So I think what you, you see in Charlotte, and especially listening in on just this arc of how people's conversation has changed during the six months of the United Way Collaborative, there is a, there is a huge desire, I think, um, to start making change. And it really just comes down to educating people about, you know, why, like, what does it look like? And how does that change? And how do you have to change your infrastructure? But I, I do feel like so many in the, in the corporate community, Charlotte, in, in Charlotte, are ready to start making that change. It's just, they're not as lucky as I am to come into a blank slate with a company that's kind of used to make taking risks. Um, so it was, I mean, that's one of our core principles for goodness gracious is take risks, expect to fail and yeah. learn yeah. from it and move on. And so we were just lucky that, that I, you know, that this opportunity happened when it did, but I think the, the mind shift, the mind shift is, is definitely shifting in, in the corporate world to, it has to look different and we have to be different in, in how we fund. So would you say, I mean, I'm curious what you think, um, what does success look like for the Lend-A-Hand Alliance cohort program from your perspective? Is, is part of that seeing more companies, more, more corporations uh, step into that trust-based philanthropy model? Um, what is, what is your, how would you define success with this, with this program? Well, I think, you know, internally our success is going to be measured, uh, you know, especially as we move into a, a more normal environment is going to be, you know, 
how many touch points can we create between our employee base and our um, cohort. So for example, last week was our first Lindahan week that we'll do every year to highlight. And so even though we're in this beautiful office, we don't have a lot of people coming in yet. We did a lot of hands-on things last week, like making STEM kits for DigiBridge um, that were the first time that even though we, we launched this and we've talked about it a lot, it was the first time a lot of people were able to get hands-on and be like, wow, like that, I, I wanna learn more about this organization. Uh, and then the reverse. Um, so coach Will McNeely from Do Greater, who's, who's here in the audience, this afternoon, he will be speaking to um, the Lending Tree employees in our leadership um, conversation series about perseverance. So that's the other point of success is how many, how much exposure can we give the folks in our cohort? You and Matt have already talked to that leadership uh, on that leadership circuit. So how can we, you know, create, um, you know, the, those different partnerships and collaborations? When uh, Wendy at at a art pop, we have these gorgeous inspiration cards that are now all over our office and being shipped out to all of our other offices um, from their artists that people can put on their desk or write notes to other employees. So for us, it's, it's I mean, it's stories and it's impact numbers and just how many touch points are there and let's list them out. Um, but in the community, I think it's, um, you know, this, this success, it will be tied to are we seeing more, um, more corporate dollars really get um, pushed into the community with that feeling of we're going to let you go and, and do what you do best? Um, and, and, you know, trust-based philanthropy is not new. The, the pro, I mean, so many people have been doing it. Allies have been doing some versions of it. But it's really, I think, getting to the point now where we get Charlotte comfortable that you can make a big impact with small dollars to, you know, people to, 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 to community embedded nonprofits. So what I'm seeing happen and what I think the big success for me is if we can get to a point where funders are collaborating, where we're talking to each other and we're saying, hey, you do this and I do this, how do we pull it together? And at the same time, nonprofits are collaborating and people really say, hey, I'm going to focus on my lane and I'm going to go really deep in my lane in my community. And so that means I'm not going to create an after school program because I know DigiBridges is awesome. So I'm going to bring them in. And then we're going to go to Lending Tree or we're going to go to Ortho or we're going to go somewhere and we're going to ask for a grant for us together. And for me, like that is even more important than everybody doing trust based philanthropy because I feel like we're throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing money at problems when I think we just need to sit back and um, and 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 let the folks in the community on the ground like start finding ways to get that money to them and let them figure out their collaboration points and what they need. Well, I just love that you are inspiring the spirit of collaboration in our community. Certainly, you know, as one of the chief tenets of creativity, collaboration is absolutely key for the future of our community. And I just love that that's just baked into the DNA of what you're building over there. Okay, so we have a lightning round. I do have a lightning round, but before I, before I hit you with the final lightning round, really quickly, you are officially now a disruptive philanthropist. It's on LinkedIn. I've seen it, so it's official. You are a dis disruptive philanthropist. Uh, has this always been a part of who you are, a benevolent disruptor, or is that something that sort of developed over time for you? I think it developed over time. 
Um, you know, I, I think if you would have asked my 20 year old and 30 year old self, like, uh, you know, especially my first time around at Lending Tree, I wasn't as much of a disruptor. Like I definitely think I've always had the ability to connect people and to like see the big picture and like, you know, I've always been shocked when people don't work together and, and why people don't yeah. understand that working together is so much better. But I think, uh, you know, the, the really disruptor piece comes with age and it comes, you know, age, with age is, is confidence. Um, and it, I think it just comes to the point where, um, you know, being in this position and representing this company and, you know, gives me an opportunity to reflect what the company's all about. And we were a disruptor in the mortgage space 25 years ago and continue to try to be that. So our philanthropy should follow suit. All right, I um, have about one minute for us to plow through 10 lightning okay. round questions. So let's keep them short. Here we go. April okay. Whitlock, who is your hero? Oh, my dad. I wish he was still here. Oh my gosh. Love, love, love to the dads. Okay, biggest phobia? Uh, snakes. Oh, I'm with you. We're kindred nope. spirits. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. It's Dancing Queen. So after last week, I'm not so sure I want. We've forever ruined it. That's an inside joke. We say, Tim and I sing Dancing Queen for Linda Hand Week. We've destroyed it. I'm sorry. We've yeah, ruined I'm that sorry. for you. That's our gift to you. All right. What's your favorite vacation spot, April? Uh, anywhere with the beach. It doesn't matter. Just We're beach. going tropical. Love it. Have you ever had a nickname? And if so, will you share it with us? Um, my dad is always from the, up until the day he died, you know, when I was old, he called me Tiger. Oh my gosh. I'm going to start calling you Tiger. I love that. Okay. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Um, hypocrisy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, uh, mellow mushroom pizza. Really? Okay. I know we're having our next meeting. How many pillows do you sleep with at night? Uh, only one pillow, but I have to have the heavy blanket. Okay, so you're a heavy blanket. Okay, I got like three around me. I'm like in a cocoon. All right, two more. Do you collect anything? Are you a collector? Um, no, I, I mean, I think I collect people. I like connecting people. So I Ooh, think I collect that's a, people. That's a really good answer. Okay, and finally, if you came with a warning label, what would it read? <laughs> Caution holds grudges. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's April, true. we love you. I got to tell you, it is such a gift that you are disrupting my life, Tim's life, and the lives of so many people in Charlotte. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you, Lou. I'm oh sending my. it back to Lou Solomon. It's all I need. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, April, for everything you do and for being with us. And Matt and Tim, thank you for what you do. This just makes uh, uh, for a wonderful show. We've had so much fun with it. Yes, absolutely. Hearts up. Uh, Watch your inbox. We're going to talk with um, Tina Postel next month about food insecurity. And we just love that you were all here in the Zoom room and watching on YouTube. Thank you so much. It's going to be a good day. Thanks for coming. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.